Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. My guest today is Dr. Christian Bush, who is the director of the Global Economy Program at NYU's Center for Global Affairs, where he teaches on purpose-driven leadership, impact entrepreneurship, social innovation, and emerging markets. He's also a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics and the co-founder of Leaders on Purpose, as well as the Sandbox Network, which is a global community of young innovators that are active in over 20 countries. And as if that is not enough to keep one busy, he is also the author of The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck, Good Luck, <laughs> which is what we will be talking about today. Welcome to the podcast, Christian. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. And in full disclosure, unlike my other NYU colleagues who I've had on the podcast, this is the very first time that we've had the pleasure of speaking. So there is so much I want to talk about with you. I have such a long list of questions and I doubt we'll get to all of them, but who knows. But I always like to start with where my guests are from, although your accent might have already already clued our listeners into that. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I grew up in Heidelberg, uh, where Goethe and Schiller wrote their poems. It's a very, you know, sleepy yet philosophical city. We have a philosopher's way there. Um, and so I remember uh, those days, uh, you know, I used to be this kind of kid in high school um, who was the troublemaker. And so um, Heidelberg didn't provide a lot of outlets for, for that kind of kid, but it was a beautiful city to grow up in. I can imagine. That's why I have not been to Germany yet. And in this pandemic, I suddenly want to visit everything that I have not gotten to yet in the world as soon as we, it's safe to get on, get on planes again. So um, there's no doubt that in my mind that serendipity played a little role in you being here today. As soon as I heard about the book, I downloaded it on my Kindle and I said, I'm going to reach out to him when I'm done this. And then after I had Dr. Carolyn Kassan on the podcast, you reached out to me on LinkedIn and and I did what I believe you talk about. We'll talk about that in a little bit in the in the book. I, I used that opportunity, and I think you used the word tenacious, and asked you if you would be on my podcast. So, can you start with telling us how you define serendipity? Yeah, I mean, it's really this idea that usually when we think about luck, we think about this blind luck where it's just something that happens to us, being born into a good family or something like that. But actually, serendipity is all about this smart luck that. Is all about our proactive actions that lead to unexpected positive outcomes. And so I guess we all know those people who face exactly the same situation as others, but they seem a little bit luckier. And so I've been fascinated by this. And so the quintessential example, you know, um, imagine you're in a coffee shop and if you have erratic hand movements like I do, you spill a coffee over a person next to you and you, you might sense you know, some kind of connection with that person. You don't know what it is, but you just sense there might be something there. And now you have two options, how you react to this unexpected moment, right? You might say, I'm so sorry, here's a napkin. You walk outside and then you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with this person? And then option number two is you say, I'm so sorry, start a conversation and that person turns out to be become the love of your life or your business co-founder or, or something like this. And so it's really this idea that it's about making accidents meaningful, but also we can talk about how it's also about creating more meaningful accidents. 
Right, exactly. So I've experienced serendipity many times in my life, probably more more recently than certainly when I was younger, although I probably just wasn't paying attention as much when it was happening when I was younger. But the fact that you show the science behind this is what really fascinates me. You know, for myself, serendipity was just something that just kind of happened. I was open to whatever it was that I wanted or wanted to where I wanted to go and everything, the universe, so to speak, just kind of fell into place. But I think that's one of the things that really fascinates me about this is that you kind of put these pieces behind it. So can you talk about that? How those two connect? Yeah, it's definitely something that has been a major fascination for exactly the reasons that you mentioned that, you know, I feel serendipity has been both a philosophy of life and a life force for me. You know, I, 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 enjoy this kind of spark that comes out of those unexpected moments. And um, I, as a community builder, especially been always fascinated by the idea of how do you develop something around this? How do you develop communities, organizations that allow us to have more of this? Um, but then, you know, serendipitously in my research on purpose-driven leadership and on how companies succeed or fail, serendipity just popped up everywhere. And so I got really fascinated by this question, is there a pattern behind serendipity is there something you know the social entrepreneur in nairobi in kenya to the ceo of mastercard who all have serendipity is there is there some kind of pattern that they have in common and so that's really um, a lot of the work we've been doing and we then found hey wow it seems that that it's always the same process it's always this process of there's some kind of unexpected event happening and then you have to do something with it you connect dots and then you have to have the tenacity to actually go through with it and so the beautiful thing then is that once you see it as a process of spotting that trigger, spotting that dot, connecting it, and then having the tenacity to go through with it, you can work on each of these three steps. You can say, I can create more of those meaningful accidents. I can see more of those meaningful accidents, but also I can train myself to connect the dots more and better. But also I can train my tenacity muscle and I can train the grit that is needed to, you know, take the coffee shop situation. It's not enough to just feel that after that conversation, that person could become your life partner, you actually have to have another date and another date and you have to go through with it. And so it's really that a lot of times serendipity is not just this kind of eureka moment in the shower where our brain kind of somehow connected some dots, but it's a lot of times actually it needs a lot of tenacity to, to end up like this. And, you know, being honest, that's one of the things I find most fascinating that, um, you know, this idea that a happy ending depends on when you stop the story and that a lot of times serendipity comes out of bad luck at the beginning. And then we did something out of this moment and turned this crisis, made it meaningful and did something with it. And so it's, it's really that idea. It gives us a more hopeful perspective, I think, on life, especially during tense time, like at the moment. Right. Because it is, it's definitely, it's, I am an optimist by, by nature, and this is probably has been the most challenging time for me to continue to look at my glasses. It's half full because there's such a tendency like, oh, my God, what's, what, what is going on here? Um, you talk about, you quote The Little Prince, which is one of my all-time favorite books. I read it in French class, so it's always Le Petit Prince to me in my head. But you talk about um, what he speaks about in there about the value of asking questions and how there's a connection to this and serendipity and cultivating serendipity. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. And it's definitely also one of my all time favorites. Um, I think we all should ask many more questions like this, you know, which are about the why, right? Which are, why would we actually do X, Y, Z? Why do we care about X, Y, Z thing? Is that just something we got 
you know trained into or is that something we, we genuinely care about and and so i'm i'm, I'm a big big fan of the, the little prince um and and the way it relates to really a lot of our research is that we actually just finished a study with um you know 43 of the world's leading ceos who try to integrate profit and purpose so it's you know companies like mastercard who say hey we want to somehow be part of tackling the sustainable development goals of really solving big societal challenges how can we do this and what 43 of these ceos have in common when you deep dive with them is that they all somehow in some kind of way are practical philosophers in some kind of way they are all somehow consistently and constantly questioning everything they are consistently asking why is this the case what can we learn from this is this assumption right or wrong and i think in a way it's almost like a socratic dynamic they develop where they try to consistently ask people about why they do what they do, but also what they assume that the, the truth is behind what they're doing. And I think um, the reason why that is so interesting for serendipity is that in a way, a lot of times we have this functional fixedness, right? Where we are, we have a certain approach or a certain kind of goal and something, and then we run towards this. But in a fast changing world, you know, a lot of those assumptions are most probably wrong, but also it closes <laughs> us down to, to a lot of the kind of potential unexpected, interesting moments that could come up. And so especially in bigger companies, what we've been seeing is that these CEOs are extremely good at having some kind of sense of direction, some kind of purpose, or, you know, in the case of MasterCard saying, we want to lift X, Y, Z million people out of poverty using our financial inclusion system, but then the exact strategy that emerges over time. So there's an approximate strategy, but then there's also the adaptability and the openness to the unexpected of how exactly it shapes up. And so I think that kind of, in a way, gets away from this old idea. You know, I grew up in Germany, as we talked about in we get trained in this idea that you have to have an exact plan and know everything. And then you realize life is just not like that. And you have to consistently learn more. And, and, and it's not a sign of imperfection then to not have everything figured out, but actually it's a sign of a, of a, of a healthy corporate culture to react to the unexpected in, in some ways. But, um, yeah, I, I know it, I know it's probably prevalent in, in German society, but I think it's something that I certainly was drilled into my head. And trust me, I'm second generation Greek American. So nothing's a straight line with them, but there was that growing up. It's like, you know, you're going to graduate high school. You're going to go to college. You're going to go work for a while. You're going to get married. You can have this. Everything's a straight line. Your career is a straight line. And, and it certainly has not been like that in my life, but I think we, and I still see it. I, and you might see this as well. I see it with my students, with my graduate students that most of them are there because they've already started to take that little twist but they still have this in the back of their head that there's going to be some, there are just no straight lines. When I talk yeah. about marketing, I say everything's a circle in marketing these days anyway. So it's, there, there really aren't any straight lines. Um, I love what you said about um, wisdom is not having all the answers. It's about asking the right questions. I just absolutely loved, loved, loved that quote. But um, we tend to equate serendipity with luck, as you said, but you say that it can be cu cultivated. So can you talk a little bit more about what you can do to cultivate it? Absolutely. And one of my favorites is, you know, doing a serendipity journal where essentially the idea is take a couple of, you know, like just a diary type um, journal and then write down what is it that you're interested in? What are some of the kind of thematic areas or something that is pulling you at the moment and then include that in every conversation in some kind of way. Cast a couple of hooks. So to give you an example, um, there's this wonderful entrepreneur in London, Oli Barrett. And if you would ask him this dreaded what do you do question, you know, that we get asked at every kind of conference. And, and, and so he would not just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say something like, 
I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started playing the piano, but what I really enjoy doing is reading about the philosophy of science. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential hooks where you could say, oh my God, such a coincidence. I, you know, I'm hosting piano matinees, you should come by. Or my God, such a coincidence, my sister is teaching the philosophy of science, you should come in as a guest speaker. The point here is that we can use every interaction and every conversation then to, to, to cast a couple of hooks related to the, to the areas of interest that we have. And so to give an example, one thing I do is when, you know, when I'm late to a call or something, I would be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, we were just talking about how serendipity could play out in curricula, and, but now I'm here, I'm so excited. And so essentially, I'm just trying to set a couple of hooks where it's like, oh, you know, I don't assume that the other person will pick it up. But if they pick it up, a lot of times that's the really interesting thing because you're not pitching at someone. And I think especially in marketing, right? Like there's a lot of pitching going on. But actually, if you if you develop a pool where people connect the dots themselves, that's obviously where it gets really interesting. And so I think I'm, I'm a big fan of those kind of things where when we develop a certain idea of the areas or interests that we have and then start um, putting a couple of hooks out there and a couple of, um, of, of potential themes that then serendipity tends to happen, um, and there's a lot of other kind of tactics like this that we can employ and, and we could talk about. It's almost um, it's almost what I, I would call looking for points of connection. You know, it's what we do as marketers, but it's what we do as humans. When we go, we're looking for what are those commonalities that we can have a little bit of a longer conversation and, and start to see where where things things may go. Um, you talk about the characteristics of that are some people are more inclined to serendipity experience serendipity than others, which I find kind of fascinating. So could you talk about that? I actually recognize myself in, in a number of them. So I guess that's a good thing. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, there's definitely a lot of traits that are related to it, right? From curiosity to open-mindedness and, and so on. Um, but I'm a huge, huge fan of, of experiments that are about the way we frame the world, because the way we frame the world and look at the world in a way, predetermines a lot of how we can see the unexpected and then do something with it. And so to give you an example, um, there's this, this brilliant experiment where they took one person who considers themselves to be very lucky, so someone who says, good things always happen to me, and then um, someone who considers themselves to be very unlucky, so someone who says, bad things always happen to me, I'm always in accidents, and, and those kind of things. And I mean, we all know people in both camps, right? People mm-hmm. who are just a little bit luckier than others and people who or a bit unluckier, even though they have exactly the same uh, life situation. And so they tell both people, well, walk down the street, go into a coffee shop, grab a coffee, and sit down, and then we'll have our interview. What they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras along the streets, and inside the coffee shop, there's a five-pound note, so a money bill in front of the coffee shop. And inside the coffee shop, there's this one chair empty next to this extremely successful businessman who can make a lot of ideas happen. Now, the unlucky person, sorry, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, has a conversation with the businessman, they exchange business cards, potentially an opportunity coming out of it, we don't know that part. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note, so doesn't see it, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, also sits next to the businessman, the other person's left, ignores the businessman, and that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, so how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, it was amazing. I found money in the street. <laughs> I made new friends. And, you know, potential opportunity, we don't know that. Now, the unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happens. And that's the thing that, that one person is just a little bit more open to the idea that there's cues everywhere. There's weak cues everywhere. You know, if we take another street to work and we'll see something in the window and we say, oh, my God, 
this old book. Why haven't we talked about this for such a long time? I should do a podcast around this, right? That's kind of like in a way <laughs> like where with with an open mind, but also the ability to actually see things, we can we can see something in moments that others don't. Um, and, and, and it's there all the time. Um, and then, of course, there's all these other elements. I mean, in this example also, there's, of course, the element of extroversion, right? Like speaking mm -hmm. with a businessman uh, can you know, open up like the possibility and the potentiality of, of opportunity there. Um, but, but, you know, as a closet introvert, what I've always been enjoying is that serendipity a lot of times comes also from calm sources, from quiet sources like books, you know, shop windows and other things. And so there's a lot in there for introverts um, to, to actually have a lot of serendipity happen. Yeah, no, I actually was a very shy young woman. Obviously, I got over that. But um, so I think I still have a little bit of introvert in me. I definitely need that time to balance it all out. But as you're talking, one of the things I'm thinking is that in order to really cultivate this, you have to cultivate being present. And, I, and that's such a challenge to do in a very distracted world. I'm a big fan of meditation and everything that is grounding, because mm -hmm. in a way, you know, if we're in a fight or flight mode, then we're so focused on fixing a particular problem or a particular thing that we might miss a lot of these cues and, and we might not be able to see them. Um, that's also something, a lot of my work is in very resource-constrained environments. And when you're in those environments where people consistently fight for survival, um, that is not the kind of environment where you can have as much serendipity, right? Because you're consistently just trying to fix one problem that that takes all your attention. And so it's, it's in a way... Um, you know, when we step back and say, how can we help develop that presence is both on the individual level in terms of how can I ground myself, but also then I think on the, on the, on the societal level of how can we build space for people to not consistently be in fight or flight in organizations, but also then kind of more broadly in, in communities. Do you think that's going to change moving forward? Because how we're going to, you know, in this, at some point we'll be in a post pandemic world. Um, sooner than later, I hope. And it, it has forced us all to, I think that's the good part about, if there's a good part that we can find about living in, through a global pandemic, is that it's really forced, forced us all to kind of say, okay, you know, it's like I said, God sent us to our rooms and said, go think about your lives. And I can't really personally imagine myself ever going back to the pace that I was keeping before, which really should, in theory, if I'm getting all this right, would open me up to even more serendipity. So do, do you think that in the business world, we're going to, it's going to calm down a little bit once we get out of this, or is it even something we can predict? Am I making sense? I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. As someone who has had a couple of near-death experiences in my life, I feel this is almost a kind of collective near-death experience where a lot of people at the same time had this moment happen where you question a lot of things that you took for granted, mm -hmm. right? You take like you might have taken for granted that you will be in the office. You might have taken for granted that this is your career track. And then you realize, oh, my God, actually, you know, I can work from home. Actually, this job wasn't as meaningful as it felt and, and all these different types of things. And so um, what I find interesting in general about these kind of in general near-death experiences and, and seeing that as a collective near-death experience is that um, the sustainability of it, you know, um, a lot of times, uh, might not be as much as as it feels in the moment in the sense that i feel at the moment you know we all have this feeling of you know everyone will go virtual and everyone will do xyz and everyone will this and then you know there's the pragmatic reality of what will actually happen I, i'm super curious about it i don't think anyone has the answers in the sense of yeah. i certainly don't and, and i certainly um have no idea you know 
I work a lot with senior executives and obviously for them, especially those who are more focused on, you know, like digitization and things like this, they would say, look, like for 10 years, we didn't have the pace of transformation that we now had within a year. So that's great. Now can everyone can work remotely. It saves us a lot of money in terms of physical infrastructure and so on. Um, others obviously kind of miss the water cooler moments in the company. Um, but I think from a serendipity perspective, what I find interesting is how much it's been about saying, how can we recreate a lot of those, um, for example, water cooler moments that we would have had in the office? How do we recreate that virtually? Um, and so especially if we might not go back to all be in the headquarters, but maybe half of us might work from co-working spaces or other things or whatever the constellation will be in the end in a more networked system, like in a way then that, um, you know, recreating that virtually is super interesting. And so I'm a big fan, for example, of random coffee trials, where the idea is that you, you know, in a company, usually you would have these water cooler moments where you run into each other, which is especially important for young people, right? Because, you know, you could run into mm -hmm. a senior person and then XYZ opportunity could just come up. And now you can't really reach the senior person. You have to go through five people to actually get there. And so the random coffee trial is all about the idea that, Everyone within a company, uh, you know, uh, indicates a couple of times they are free. And then in smaller companies, they organize it in a simple Excel sheet. In larger companies, they have better infrastructure. But the idea is that they randomly match people with each other as if they would run into each other at a water cooler. Wow. And then essentially say, Wednesday, you two were free on Wednesday. Grab a coffee for half an hour and just have a conversation. Some companies give an inspiring prompt like, you know, what's your challenge at the moment? Or what are you excited about? Others just leave it. But the point is that, in a way, a lot of the things we thought we could only do physically in the office, we can actually recreate partly um, virtually. Of course, the energy and everything is not the same. But I've, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, actually, of this idea that virtual is like Zoom and, you know, Squadcast and um, WebEx, like, is it's our, like, private plane, right? Like, I can be in your living room within two seconds versus otherwise I would have traveled half through the city and then... You know, with a lot of clients, I would like have to go through customs and fly over that would cost me a whole day. And so, you know, this idea that in a way, I think um, what's been tough, of course, and I had COVID earlier, COVID earlier last year, what I found oh. tough, of course, is the, the emotional experience of it, the, the experience of taking away, like how much liberty can be taken away in such a, such a short period of time. So many things that are taken for granted, but I'm also increasingly seeing the very interesting effects um, in terms of how you can actually then, as an organization, rethink a lot of things um, in, in interesting ways. One big issue, just as a side note, and I think it's, it's just important to keep that in mind, is that it exacerbated so much societal inequality. I mean, I see that with my students. I have students, you know, in the Florida mansion who, no problem, they do the same things they would have done, um, but are in a big mansion versus then you know the kid somewhere in 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 queens who has 20 family members and 10 of them have covid and they just kind of try to not infect each other and you can imagine talk about fight or flight in which environment you might have more versus less serendipity and so i think it's 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 also thinking about structurally if we have arrangements where people work from home or else what is home for people and 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 how is that um how does that have an effect yeah, I got chills when you were saying that because it, it, you're right. It just really has has exasperated the inequalities that we have out there. Um, so again, one of the many things I love about this is that it's not a, this self-help mindset that, oh, if I do all this and wonderful things are going to happen, but that you, it's, it, it's more about being present and open and connecting these dots that help us in cultivating creativity and ultimately in our businesses. 
So can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I mean, that's something. So a lot of my work with companies has been around this question. How do you in a fast changing world where you can only plan so much, how do you build the muscle for how do you build a muscle for the unexpected? How do you build a culture that allows mm-hmm. for serendipity to emerge and where then serendipity becomes an active part of planning rather than just something that if something went wrong, you 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 kind of have to have to make the best out of it. And so there's a couple of practices I'm a big fan of, and one of which is the the project funeral or the postmortem where the I love that. Of, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> it was on my list. <laughs> Please talk about it. Where 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 the idea really is to say, usually in companies when something doesn't work out, we try to hide it, right? We don't want to be the loser who messed something up. So we, we don't talk about it. Um, we only talk about the successes. So we don't really learn from each other because the real learning, of course, is in the experimentation from what didn't work. And so um, the project funeral is about saying, whenever there's an idea that didn't work, the person who is responsible for it presents it to people from other divisions or from, from different teams or something and says, we're laying this to rest. This is what didn't work. And this is what we learned from it. So it's not about celebrating failure, but it's about celebrating, you know, to, the learning from what didn't work. And so in this one example of a company, um, they had this window glass. And the idea was that the light wouldn't reflect when it goes through the, the window glass. And, and it's an amazing technology, but they realized, wow, people won't pay a lot of money for it. And so they laid it to rest and they said, next time we'll understand the market better. Now, someone in the audience goes like, hey, hey, have you considered what this would mean for solar? Have you considered if you take that technology into a solar context, how much energy that could absorb? And that is how, quote unquote, coincidentally, part of the solar division emerged. Now, you know, when people look at it, they say, oh, it was so lucky that that person was in the audience who connected the dots. It was such a lucky kind of moment and so on. Yeah, but, you know, they created a practice that made it more likely that some kind of collision like this would happen. And so it's these kind of practices where people are incentivized to connect the dots for each other that can help us have more serendipity. And there's also a lot of kind of smaller things. You know, I'm a big fan, for example, in meetings, right? Like from time to time, just asking things like, what's a, so what surprised you last week? Was there something in the data like that customers did XYZ differently? And so there's actually, one of my favorites here is the potato washing machine where, you know, a couple of years ago, um, farmers were calling up a Chinese company that I've been working uh, with and uh, they produce washing machines, refrigerators and so on. And, uh, you know, they, they got calls from farmers and the farmers told them, well, your crappy washing machine is always breaking down. And so they asked, so why is it breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes in it and it just doesn't <laughs> seem to work. And so what would we usually do as a company? We would say our assumption is that the washing machine is there to wash clothes. So you, like stupid customer, don't wash your potatoes in this washing machine, right? But now they were smart enough to say, hey, actually, there's a lot of farmers in China. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And that's how coincidentally the the potato washing machine emerged as a product. The point here is that when you have like, you know, these small questions integrated into meetings, such as what surprised you last week, then someone can raise the point saying, oh, wow, it surprised me that farmers seem to use our washing machine for potatoes. And then it would be like, wow, this is not a pro- this is not about a mistake that we didn't calculate that that could happen. It's actually great that we have a culture that allows us to now change course and say maybe that should be actually our focus. And so it's really building those kind of um, practices into into the organization, right? As the opposite of well, we just we don't just we don't do it that way, or we're going to close it off, which happens a lot. It has happened a lot, certainly in my experience in the corporate world. Um, I, I, I certainly saw that a lot. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the the luck, the smart luck and the blind luck and, and luck 
I, I remember um, early on in my career when I first, I was selling radio in Philadelphia and I got one of my first big offers, um, orders. I went to my boss and he was telling me what a great job I did. And I said, really, I, I was just lucky. And he proceeded to tell me he didn't believe in luck. He believed in being in the right place at the right time, which I think kind of dovetails a little bit into what you talk about. And I never really left my head. It's like, okay, you know, if I'm doing all the right things, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be. I'm kind of setting it up, not knowing doing what you were talking about in this book, but kind of seeing it like that. But can you talk about a little bit about that between the, a little bit more in this smart luck and, and blind luck difference? Yeah. I mean, it really comes back to, I think you're a great example of someone who creates their own smart luck, right? In the sense that I think the traditional perspectives have always been, it's either luck or skill, right? Or luck or working hard. But actually the premise of this mindset is to say, you need to work hard to have luck. <laughs> and, and, and so it's really about saying, uh, you know, there's, I think, similar to your story. Um, one of my friends, he used to work in a dealership. And, you know, it's kind of, he did that like retail job as a side job because he was like, I have to earn some money, but he actually wanted to really work like in a management position. But he was like, you know what? I will work as hard in this job as I would work in any other job because that is essentially the only way to put myself on the map. And so he would work very hard. One day a customer comes in and is really impressed by this kind of hardworking young person who seems to be so energetic about such a job that the person felt, well, it's probably not the most exciting job. And he essentially says, hey, look, like, what, what is your dream? Like, what would you love to do? He's like, well, I would love to end up in like a management position around XYZ. He's like, you know what? I'm running Mercedes XYZ in Canada. Um, you, should, you should pop by my office. We should talk. And he ends up in a, in, a, in a management position. The point being that, again, this was lucky that that person came in at that particular point in time. But he worked very hard for essentially having the precondition of that, 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 that to happen. And so... An analogy that I use sometimes is, you know, it's one thing to run into um, the potential love of your life in the gym, but you know, if you if you if you if you worked out before and if you feel like really like like you know in a good place or so, it's more likely that you actually connect with that person than if you feel like, oh my god, I just want to hide away from the world and I just want to um, uh, run away. And so I think that's the same in everything else. That like the the condition in which we are in a particular place. Uh, in a way, preconditions a lot of what what can happen in a, in a particular situation, and so it's both our connecting the dots. But again, I think the beautiful thing about serendipity is a lot of times it's other people connecting the dots for us, but our hard work and our tenacity essentially then provides, in a way, these dots that a person could connect for us. And there was also the the hooks example earlier to say if I'm working on putting some hooks out there, could it could be blog posts, it could be a podcast, mm -hmm. it could be other things. It makes it more likely that other people then come to me and say, wow, such a coincidence. Uh, uh, John, you just talked about this on your podcast. I didn't even know you worked on this. We should do a project on XYZ. And so it's really kind of that idea that you develop more pull once you work hard and, and develop um, some, some themes around this. Right, which is something in marketing, we, as you know, we talk about all the time is that it's the traditional methods were very much push, 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 and just keep banging people over the head as opposed to if we set it up properly, a lot of stuff's going to come to us. And then again, it's a question of what do you, what do, you do with that? Mm -hmm. You also talked a lot about um, still needing that the place to recharge in order for serendipity to occur, because I, I don't want to let anyone who's listening get into that idea that, oh, this is like a push. You're always doing something to make it happen because that's not what serendipity is about. You can create your luck, but you're not really pushing to create it. Is that making sense? 
So you talked about this, this, this need to also just kind of pause and recharge. Could you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's when you think about, and I think for, for everyone who's listening, I think what I always find very helpful is to think back on our lives and think about what were those moments in our lives where we in some way acted on the unexpected and what were those moments where we feel, wow, that worked out really well, right? Is the person who's sitting next to me here in quarantine, in quarantine, the person, you know, that I acted on a moment in a coffee shop and I'm really happy about this. And then trying to understand what is the pattern behind this, but also what is the pattern behind when I didn't act on it or when I saw something maybe in a moment, but something helped me back, maybe a self-limiting belief or um, imposter syndrome, or I don't feel ready, like those kind of things that, that hold us back from things. And I think a lot of times... The thing about serendipity is we talked about it as a process. And, and when you see it as a process, you see that there's a long incubation time. Like a lot of times, you know, we might now have a conversation about serendipity. And in five years, you might coincidentally speak with a UN Secretary General about serendipity and say, oh, my God, such a coincidence. Five years ago, I talked with Christian about this. You should put that into the UN, right? So it's those kind of things where a lot of times there's such a long incubation time. And we it's hard for us to trace it back. And I think especially for community um like I've, I've been very involved in community building. And for us, one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to measure our impact is that a lot of times we facilitate interactions or relationships that only in 10 years from now have some kind of effect. But then people trace it back to that immediate effect, you meeting the general secretary versus us meeting now. And so it's kind of this idea that a lot of times serendipity has a very long incubation time. And, uh, you know, the most interesting things come out of reflection. They come out of really kind of introspection. They come out of really kind of not going outward, but going inward. And I think that is to your point of, of you know, it's one thing to be out there, the extrovert who just kind of like goes around everywhere. But, but having a good filter and having a good grounding in terms of trying to understand, you know, what is my real principles here? What is the North Star? What is something that helps me filter those opportunities? But also what is something that maybe I first need to start with myself and understand what is really important to me? What is something that I really care about before going out there and having all these different things happen? And so I think there's a huge space for, we talked about it, for introversion in general, for, for really kind of being there, but also for reflection, for for being um, selective about the kind of you know um, interesting things that emerge. Um, I've had that, for example, when writing the book, that uh, in a way, um, when you have a, a clear idea of what you want to do, that then actually a lot of times serendipity can be a distraction. So you want to actually say, wow, wow, here's a parking lot. Let me write these things down. It's all exciting, but not now. <laughs> and so really, mm -hmm. kind of, I think there's a lot of value in, in that idea of, of really doing also a lot of inner work and thinking about what is it that I want to have serendipity more about and what is it where I don't need it? Like if I'm in a beautiful, happy relationship, I don't need love serendipity. I don't need explicit <laughs> serendipity. And so maybe there's other communities then that I, that I, that I tackle. And so um, I think there's, you know, a friend of mine, one of the things we talked about um, in, in the book was this kind of idea that I think depending on our quote unquote maturity, we go through different life cycle stages. And so the kind of early life cycle stage is, you know, if you're a young person who wants to put themselves on the radar, you go to a lot of events and you kind of do that relatively unselectively because you just try to get in wherever you can get in. And then mm -hmm. at some point you, you start to realize, oh, wow, I have a couple of communities that are a bit more selective, but those communities really help me out. And so then you focus a bit more on this and then you diverse, like, uh, diversify again. But the point being that I think you, by stepping back and being more selective about the kind of communities, the kind of events, reflecting on this, then we still, you know, um, in a way have serendipity, but in a way 
um, we don't have to overindulge in uh, just kind of over extroverting ourselves. Mm -hmm. Busyness going to the, I, I've, I've been there, I've been there. And then you kind of, you kind of start to narrow it down. Um, I got a couple of more questions. Well, you know what I want to ask? I want to ask you um, before I get to this last question, how have you managed in this crazy and often stressful time? You have a book come out. You're supposed to be on a book tour going and visiting all these places in, in person. How, how have you managed personally? I mean, it's been a fascinating period. I mean, I had COVID early last year. So at the very beginning, um, you know, it was that kind of period where I couldn't breathe. It was like a very severe form of it. So, you know, it, it brings out a lot of anxiety and a lot of kind of things of, you know, mm -hmm. um, um, uh, that are not that pleasant emotionally. Um, but then I think what I found professionally, I mean, of course, you know, as a first time author, you think, oh, my God, cool. Like, you know, books will be in bookstores at the airport and everywhere. And then everything's closed down and you're like, ah, <laughs> all right, maybe maybe that doesn't happen now. Um, but then what I realized is, wow, actually what's and, and that comes back to the private plane idea that now, you know, you speak at a conference in Costa Rica in the morning and then you're in Tokyo in the afternoon and then you're. And so essentially it's this kind of idea that. I feel you can be more global. You you can be more global from day one versus usually traditionally you would do then, you know, 10 book readings in New York and then you would go to New Jersey and then you would go to um, um, Massachusetts and, and, and so on versus now you can essentially just kind of, you know, more pragmatically say, oh, great, like there's something popping up here and doing this. So so my personal experience has been emotionally not always easy, um, but but then I think from a kind of book perspective, it's been very interesting to just figure out, you know, how do you make the best out of the situation in, in the sense that, yes, it's a pity that it's not in all the bookstores where it could have been, but um, um, because, you know, a lot of things closed down, but actually, in a way, it also opened up um, the opportunity to just plug into existing events around the world that I wouldn't usually have been able to just kind of fly over. Can't squeeze a few countries in in one day if you have to get on a plane to go to them, but you certainly can if um, <laughs> if you're just switching your Zoom calls. <laughs> so, um, one last question on the book, but um, you include serendipity workouts throughout the book, which I think is really just just was a brilliant addition to it. So, how people can what people can actually do to do it, and if someone is listening and intrigued with this whole idea of serendipity, besides telling them to buy your book, which of course I think everybody should. What is it? What are a couple of things you would suggest just to get them started? I mean, the first step, definitely the, the serendipity journal. So really kind of, you mm -hmm. know, clarifying a little bit, what is it that, I don't know, it could be just a couple of core principles or a couple of core, you know, if there's no clear North Star or something, maybe just a couple of curiosities or things we just want to learn more about or so. And then saying, hey, what are the kind of communities or so where I could plug into to have potentially interesting things happen. Um, then second step, really the kind of deeper psychological work first to really get rid of the biases or we probably can never really get rid of them, but but really working a little bit on them in terms of thinking about, okay, when were the situations in the past where it didn't act on something unexpected? Why is that the case? Was it What is it behind it? And how could I prepare myself for that? Um, so, you know, to give you an example, I face a lot of quote-unquote unexpected moments in presentations, right? Because I do a lot of presentations and, you know, of course, you know, there will always be at some point either a connection issue or like the moderator might forget X, Y, Z, or I might forget anything or something like this. And so what I do is I have a couple of like funny lines for those unexpected moments. And so what I'm trying to do is 
that I, I don't know what exactly the unexpected moment will be, but I know that there will be one and I know that, that I can prepare myself for that. And so I think building a muscle for those potentialities where we just know in our own life they will happen more often. Again, in my case, spilling the coffee or something like this, like we can, we can just think about in those situations, what is it that could, could potentially um, be something? Same in meetings or things, right? A lot of times we self-censor in meetings and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's just working on those deeper questions. Um, but then third, it's really the more pragmatic questions, right? The more pragmatic, um, what we would consider a real workout in terms of, we talked about the hooks. I think I like that because it's easy. You can try it out. You can just bring a side sentence from time to time or finish off an email, but just saying, oh, and 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 by the way, X, Y, Z, you know, just kind of bringing a couple of hooks into conversations. I'm also a big fan of when having a conversation to literally kind of committing oneself to making at least one connection in the sense of when you tell me something, I'm always thinking about, is there one person I could introduce you to? Or is there one idea that could relate to what you just told me? And by then, kind of first, it feels a little bit forced because you're like, you're forcing yourself to make those connections. But actually, then it becomes like a second nature that you consistently connect dots. And so you can then like, you know, literally train your brain to just connect dots all the time. And then um, I think that's that's really useful. And then I think as a, as a third step, um, I would I would very uh, consciously think about what are the kind of communities I really want to be part of at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, because the beautiful thing at the moment, of course, is that because everyone is at home, everyone also is virtually accessible, right? So everyone, in a way, um, I've been surprised how many people who are, you know, who seem extremely, um, you know, uncontactable are extremely contactable at the moment. And so I think it, it's, it's really that time of thinking about who are the kind of people I could just reach out to and set a couple of serendipity bombs and just see if, if they'd be interested in the conversation, what are the kind of communities that I could plug in at the moment easily because I don't have to drive to XYZ place, but I can just be part of an online conversation. So I think really kind of, you know, in a way, thinking about those those communities um, can, can be super helpful. Um, and then, but, you know, like the, the long story short, I think um, the bigger philosophical thing behind everything we talked about is really um, coming back to the Viktor Frankl, you know, who... In a way, he learned a lot from Goethe, who wrote his poems in, in Heidelberg. Um, and and um, he had this idea, right, that you can you, a lot of times not choose the situation, but you can always choose your response to it. And I think as, at the mm-hmm. moment, especially, you know, yes, like I think we all feel quite powerless in, in a lot of situations. And then still we have some kind of agency where we can still act. And I think that's kind of the space where we can be proactive. What a wonderful way to end this podcast on that note. I love it. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online? I know we well. I'll put all these links in the show notes and certainly your website. And are you active on, you're active on Twitter, I believe anything else that you want to have people follow you on. You can follow him on LinkedIn too, I believe. Correct. Exactly. So LinkedIn is Christian Bush. Um, on Twitter, it's at Chris Serendip. And then the homepage is serendipitymindset.com. And yeah, the book is everywhere in on the Amazons and else of the world. We'll make sure there's a quick link to in, in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sharon. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... 
whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. 